Welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveller. My name is Melinda Stevens, the Editor-in-Chief of Condé Nast Traveller US and Condé Nast Traveller UK, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condé Nast Traveller we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favourite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. This podcast was written and recorded before the tragic killing of innocent protesters in Lagos on the 20th of October 2020. My thoughts go out to all of those who died. May their spirits of defiance live on. Hello, my name is Nas Sarawiwa and I'm an author and freelance journalist. I'll be reading my piece on Lagos, Nigeria, which featured in Condé Nast Traveller's November 2020 issue. I hope you enjoy it. Built on water, oil and islands, Lagos is Nigeria's get-rich, loud-and-proud city where drama unfolds on every corner and everyone has a side hustle. Switching from the slumber of Middle England to the sensory explosion that is Lagos was a transition I had to make during childhood summers. Life in Surrey was punctuated by returns to Nigeria where I was born, enforced by parents who were hell-bent on neutralising my Britishness. Reaching our hometown of Port Arcot involves stopping over at relatives' houses in Lagos, and even at that young age, the big city charge of the then capital, its noise and its swagger, was magnetic, repellent, and always unforgettable. The last time I took an extended trip here was in 2007, at the beginning of a four-and-a-half-month odyssey around the country for my book, Looking for Transwonderland, Travels in Nigeria. There was an organised chaos to it, I was intimidated by the density and impatience of the crowds and the kamikaze okadas, or motorcycle taxis, that flew at me from every direction. It was a steam pot of vehicle fumes and go-slow traffic jams, which vendors weave through, selling anything from squash rackets to books titled How to Get Fat, while self-styled preachers on the distinctive yellow Danfo minibuses laid seven shades of Jesus on their fellow passengers. It was an urban jungle with the Darwinian survival ethos of Texas and the infrastructure of Kinshasa, where islands of staggering wealth existed without shame in a lake of poverty. If Lagos were a person, she'd wear a Gucci jacket and a cheap hair weave, cruising in her Porsche over rain-flooded potholes. In a nation where the middle class had atrophied and the rich got rich very quickly, the poor were not irrational for believing that prosperity was within their reach. Nearly everyone had a side hustle, with even university lecturers supplementing their income by hawking Chinese cure-all teas on public transport. Rawness abounded. Years later, I was preparing to fly back to the metropolis and I found myself walking past Vogue writer Susie Menkes at the airport. Is this the departure gate for Lagos, she asked me. 
20 years ago, I might have assumed she meant Lagos in Portugal. Why would the grand dam of British fashion journalism be visiting African Lagos, whose notoriety strikes fear into the hearts of delicate first world travellers? It turned out Menkes was heading to Lagos Fashion Week. Her presence proof that society is opening its eyes to Nigeria's largest city as a hub of design, art, industry and finance. But while its appeal is often overshadowed by infamy, it's been shining at the centre of its own universe long before the West began to take notice. Recently, I returned to a Lagos that's better governed and more sedate in certain areas, a place with a vision of itself and where it wants to be. In prosperous neighbourhoods such as Victoria Island and Ikoyi, the Okadas have gone, replaced by Kike, motorised tricycles, while the notorious yellow taxis now compete with Ubers. One driver I encountered, Marcel, held a white-collar job at Guinness until he was laid off when the currency plummeted. Today, he uses his car to pay his bills and, compared to some yellow taxi operators, he's intensely agreeable. The side hustle has been digitised and the passenger driver screaming matches of old are diplomatically muted now that both parties have app ratings to protect. Marcel, like many Lagosians, isn't originally from here. Nigerians from all corners are sucked into the force field of a city which, if an independent country, would have the fifth largest economy in Africa. 40% of its residents are rumoured to be ethnic Igbo from the east, which is ironic considering it was the Igbo's attempt at secession that sparked the Biafran civil war of the late 1960s. My parents fled from that very conflict and settled in Lagos for a few years. Since then, it has grown to accommodate people from all of Nigeria's 200-plus ethnic groups who live in a phenomenal harmoniousness that's underappreciated by the world. Lagos is Nigeria, one resident tells me. Aesthetically, the city wins no prizes. There are flashes of beauty in the university campus or the third mainland bridge that snakes along the Blue Lagoon and sparkles in the twilight. But the panorama of 70s and 80s oil boom buildings is as grey as the tropical thunderclouds, and the pavements are cleaved by open ditches. This is no place for the placid flaneur. Lagos's charm is concealed in its interiors, such as Alara, a gorgeous boutique designed by David Ajaye, the architect behind Washington, D.C.'s National Museum of African American History and Culture. Alara may be set opposite a decrepit property in Victoria Island, but stepping inside, I was dazzled by the imposing central staircase backed by huge windows with light pouring onto leather goods and Yves Saint Laurent clothes. The city is an experiential space, says its manager, Hunderson, a shaven-headed Haitian New Yorker who's lived in Lagos since 2018. It pulled me in. I didn't have a choice. When I first visited 10 years ago, I thought, oh my God, I can't go back. The energy, the starkness. It's a blank canvas with about 21 million inhabitants. You can't be lazy. That's what drives me. Look at the fashion industry, the film industry, and everyone has a law degree. What is it with these people in law degrees, he laughs. October and November are the months to be in Lagos. The rains have ceased and the hotels teem with the local style set. The Ake Arts and Book Festival draws the best writers from the continent and its diaspora, including Booker Prize winner Bernadine Evaristo and sci-fi talent Nnedi Okorafor. By night, the lagoon glows with open-air waterside bars and restaurants. 
and music is everywhere. The beats and electronic melismatic vocals of acts such as Burner Boy, who performed at Coachella last year, thumping from speakers. From your feet to love It can exhilarate or irritate, depending on your tastes. I grabbed some respite at the Jazz Hall Bookstore, a longtime fixture on Awolawal Road in Ikoyi, an affluent central district where British expats built homes in the 20th century. Here, I sip coffee and scan the shelves while Rhythm of Love by 70s Nigerian funk band Blow plays in the background. Owner Kunle Tejoso tells me that his mother, Bemi, used to run the family's other now-defunct bookshop, Glendora, on the same street. My father would hang out there back in the day, perusing paperbacks and gisting or chatting with Mrs. Tejoso. In a place where silence is a rarity, Jazz Hole is still a good spot to meet new people and hold deep conversations. This is not a city of the mind, one customer laments. It's true that designated intellectual spaces and events are thin on the ground, but sit in cafes and food joints and you'll overhear movers and shakers discussing things such as the paucity of accurate cancer diagnostic equipment or how low-cost housing subsidies end up benefiting the rich. Here in the Southwest, education levels are traditionally higher on average than in the rest of the country. One can see it in the homegrown tech companies of the Yabat neighborhood or Andela, a firm that aims to fix the global shortage of software developers. It all makes the city's car registration plate motto, center of excellence, look a lot less sarcastic these days. Lagos is Nigerian ambition made manifest, yet its predominant poverty is impossible to sidestep. To be an educated cosmopolitan Lagosian is to be the world's consummate urbanite because he or she experiences the full spectrum of the human condition. It keeps the empathetic ones grounded and inspired. We have so much raw material, says Tayo Ogunbi, as we tuck into obokun, or saltwater catfish, at Switch 1922 Lounge in the Lekki district. She is the artistic director of Art X Lagos, West Africa's first international art fair. Philadelphia-raised and Princeton-educated, Ogunbi now lives here and helps to showcase exciting contemporary works from the continent and its diaspora. She says she needs the friction of the real Lagos to fuel her own creative works and remind her of what matters. I agree. Victoria Island and Ikoi may be packed with creature comforts, such as scoffing shrimp beside the pool at Moist Beach Club, but after kicking about among the suburban malls and the nouveau-riche mansions hoisted by neoclassical columns, I'm craving the true urban, no matter how gritty. Onikan is a palate cleanser in that respect. Once the main downtown area, this district on Lagos Island has faded in looks and status, yet still possesses the organic soul of the city. I like the worn-out apartment blocks with their exposed laundry lines, and the echoey acoustics of the cheek by jowl architecture. There's nearby Freedom Park, formerly Her Majesty's Broad Street Prison, with its pitted late Victorian walls, within which public debates and concerts are held. On Bambose Street, a stretch filled with colorful multi-story houses, 
Market stalls sell fruits and live chickens. Towards one end stands the Doherty Villa, one of the few remaining buildings built by the freed Brazilian slaves who settled here in the 19th century. Over at dimly lit old school Ghana High restaurant, office workers line up for typical Nigerian plates, such as gari, a pounded cassava paste that's dipped into spicy soups made from ground nuts, leafy vegetables and okra. Hunks of grilled chicken and beef with jollof rice, a paella-style dish made from tomato stew, chili and peppers, are served by a broad and imperious madame who doesn't bother with smiley customer service. Her food is better than sex, and she knows it. Outside Tafawa Balewa Square, the cast-iron gates are topped by statues of eagles and giant white horses rearing towards the sky. There's a whiff of Mussolini in the design, but it's cancelled out by the vibrant umbrellas of the vendors below, vernacular street scenes that blend with the grandeur to unintentionally kitsch effect. In Onikan, I can see an opportunity for bottom-up regeneration. Hints of a brighter future are glimpsed in spots such as the Rele Gallery on Military Street, owned by Adenrele Sonariwo, and displaying modern pieces by Nigerian artists, including Victor Ehikameno. Down the road, in a park across from the National Museum, architect Sheyun Oduwole is working on the J.K. Randall Center for Yoruba Culture and History. The exhibition and event space will tell the story of the indigenous West African people. And at a rooftop apartment on Maloney Street, the H-Factor Creative Community repurposes underused sites into innovative hubs and hosts parties, clay-making and stone-carving workshops, film screenings and monthly curbside pop-ups selling vintage clothing. Meanwhile, the Streetlights Collective puts on jam sessions to discover new musical talent. But will regeneration happen in the full sense? Lagos has a habit of shaping new corners for the rich rather than improving existing areas for ordinary folk. Echo Atlantic City, an ambitious high-end development, is being built on land reclaimed from the ocean. While upscale Lekki lies on a peninsula, its new constructions gradually stretching, or one could say running away from, the metropolis. But global warming makes it prone to flooding. After the deluge of 2017, a crocodile washed up on the pavement, a reminder that here, even the well-off are never far from the edge of life. Ironically, those best prepared for climate change are the residents of Makoko, a shanty village of stilt houses and boats known as the Venice of Africa. Its problems, overcrowding, floods and ever-widening wealth gaps, are a microcosm of the planet's problems. And in that sense, Lagos is perhaps more forward-facing than we realise. It's done incredibly well to function without imploding, its people always finding ways to adapt, thrive and survive. The city is the past and the future, with the capacity to move in either direction. This podcast has been brought to you by the Turquoise Holiday Company, 
leading tour operator and winner of our Reader's Choice Award 2020, Turquoise is passionate about creating the most imaginative itineraries around. Its travel specialists know destinations inside out. So whether it's a sensational honeymoon or a please-everyone multi-generational family get-together, Turquoise will craft your own unforgettable travel story. For more details, visit www.turquoiseholidays.co.uk or call them on 01494 678 400. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Routes podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us in the charts and ensure you are the first to hear about new episodes.